one. It's like when you get up here, it's like stepping through the closet door into Narnia. So I want to thank Jennifer and uh, All Things Christmas Ben uh, for putting that, uh, this together. I want to welcome you this morning. Uh, if you're watching us online uh, and worshiping with us at home, we're glad that you're doing that. And it's pretty easy, as you all know, to connect with us by giving us a phone call or dropping us an email. And if we can help those that are here, you're welcome to come up after the service and uh, talk to me. And there'd be some other folks up here uh, that would be glad to pray for you this morning. So uh, this morning is our first Sunday of Advent. And Advent means what? Coming. And it means the uh, coming of Christ, and we're celebrating his coming uh, the first time uh, we do that during Christmas. And we have also, we look forward to his second coming, which is called the Blessed Hope. And so we're, we kind of live uh, between promises. And hope, when we look at it, hope is not um, biblically defined as wishful thinking like, I hope, <laughs> you know, uh, I'll, I'll get my special gift at Christmas. No, it's really a confident assurance that what God has said, he will, he will do for us. And so this morning, uh, during our teaching time, we want to take that uh, theme of hope and ask ourselves a very simple question. How, how can we grow in a confident assurance that we can believe, trust, and expect God to do what he has promised to do? How can we, how can we grow in that? And so if you have your Bibles... Um, what I'd like you to do is uh, kind of turn to uh, two places. Uh, find Isaiah uh, chapter 63 in your Bibles and uh, also uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 4, which is what we'll start with. And uh, this morning, the first Sunday of Advent, uh, we celebrate hope and we're asking ourselves how can we grow uh, in that hope? How can we grow in a confident expectation that God will perform those things that he's promised to us? So let us pray, and then we'll begin our study this morning. Father, we thank you for Advent. It, it, Lord, it just, just brings so many moments of uh, joy to our hearts, um, as we look back over the years, it, it brings a sense of your blessings into our heart. And it, Lord, it does prompt us to, to look for that blessed hope, Lord, that the coming of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior for the second time, Lord, to bring uh, your righteousness and your judgment, uh, Lord, to restore things during your millennial reign. And Lord, um, it also fuels in our heart the fact that nothing is lost in Christ, that heaven awaits those that call upon your name as Lord and Savior. 
And so, Lord, as we turn to your word this morning, speak to our hearts, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We live in a world that struggles with hope. I think a common uh, phrase about the times we live in is that it's so hopeless, is that we have a set of expectations towards things in culture or things in our family, and they seem to be somewhat elusive. And yet the Lord's hope is quite different. The Lord's hope brings about a confident expectation to live not by our circumstances that might present themselves, but it brings a courage and a confidence to trust in our Lord, our God, Jesus Christ. I think the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 15 gives us one of those keys to unlock how can we grow in hope. And we're going to illustrate that this morning as we turn to um, the book of Isaiah and demonstrate how did Isaiah build hope in his heart? How did he build hope in prophetically speaking to the people of Judah that were going to be taken into captivity in 586 BC? Because the key to Isaiah is that he looked to the future and the Lord showed him what was going to come for Judah. And so in the chapters that we'll look at, the prophet Isaiah looks ahead and speaks into the heart of those children of Israel that would be found in Babylon, would be found in exile, and he speaks a word of hope to them. In Romans chapter 15, the apostle Paul writes this in verse 4. He says, for whatever was written in former days, okay, whatever was written in the past. And so what the Apostle Paul is referring to is all those, in many Bibles, those dusty old books that we see in the Old Testament. He says, whatever was written in past, and one of those books that we'll look at this morning is the book of Isaiah. The Apostle writes, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. In other words, that we would read it and, and grow from it. And then he doesn't stop there. He says that if, if you'll be instructed by the Old Testament, here's what you can expect as far as outcomes in your life. It says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance... And through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have what? We might have hope. Come with me to what I would refer to um, is, is the gospel of Isaiah. And I, and I say that uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek in some ways, but it gets to the point. Uh, Ernie Albergine, how many got the Google... Uh, send out that Ernie sent out about the question that was on Jeopardy. Ernie sent out this question. I guess the question on Jeopardy is what book, that, what book written by the Apostle Paul had the most Old Testament references in it? And, and this was a big wildfire on the, on the pastoral Google groups and, that I'm on. 
uh, because the Jeopardy answer was what? How many, how many know what I'm talking? Yeah, but the problem with that is that there's no record that Paul wrote Hebrews. I mean, there's a pretty, I mean, you could make some case for it, uh, but it's most likely Apollos. That's one of the things. But the correct answer was what? Romans. So uh, the second question, this wasn't on Jeopardy, but I'll, I'll give you a quiz on it. What's the Old Testament book that's most quoted in the New Testament? Uh, oh, my gosh. You guys would be like millionaires if you were on Jeopardy. And Isaiah tells us so much about the coming Messiah. Tells us that he would be born of a virgin, right? Isaiah came to the kings of Israel to remind them to love the Lord. That was their job. It wasn't so much foretelling as it was being a, say, sheriff, in a sense, and calling the kings and leadership to account. Isaiah came to Ahaz, who was the king of the northern tribe, Israel, and said, Ahab, don't go there. Ahab had aligned himself with Syria, and they wanted to take over the southern tribe, Judah. The prophet says, trust the Lord. It's not in your best interest to attack Jerusalem. And Isaiah the prophet went to him and said, ask God for a sign so that you would know that he is God and you can trust him. And Ahaz was full of himself and did what? He said, no thanks. So the prophet goes to him, choose any sign you want to prove that God is true to his word. And because Ahaz would not, he says, God will show you a sign. The virgin will be with child. And we see the fulfillment of that. And then we see towards the end of the first part of Isaiah, we see the prophet come to a good king. King's name is Hezekiah, right? He says to Hezekiah, because now Assyria is coming down and, and threatening Judah or Jerusalem, Assyria is coming down. And so Hezekiah goes, I need to make it an alliance. So he tries to make an alliance with Egypt, Isaiah comes to him and says what? Don't do that. Trust in the Lord. And Hezekiah, being a good king with a good heart, gets it, gets it somewhat right because he repents, but then he gets prideful and invites the Babylonians to come in shows him all the temple treasures. And because of that, the prophet Isaiah, a hundred years before it happens, says to King Hezekiah, which is chapter 39 in the book of Isaiah, he says, the Babylonians are going to come and take you captive. What happened a hundred years later in 586? The Babylonians come in and take Jerusalem captive. See, what Paul reminds us of 
is that the Word of God is there for our instruction, our encouragement, that we might have what? Hope. That what God has promised will happen. The book of Isaiah is all about that. Two parts, chapter 1 through 39, is about those troubled times. Times of Assyria coming in in 722 and taking over the northern tribe. And then in 586, bringing people into captivity. The second part of Isaiah, 40 through 66, is all about promise, all about hope, all about the Lord's faithfulness to stay true to his people. And so in chapter 63 and 64 and 65, we take a little slice of Isaiah and ask ourselves the question, how did Isaiah encourage the people to hope in God? How can we, where we live today, find hope in times that are difficult in our hearts and in our lives? Take a look at the first principle. How do we grow in hope? It's found in Isaiah chapter, chapter 63 and verse 1. It says, Who is this who comes from Edom in crimson garments from Boraz? He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. And this is speaking of the world empires of the day that were coming against uh, both Israel and Judah. Look at the end of verse 1. The prophet quotes, It is I speaking in righteousness, mighty to do what? Mighty to save. Isaiah's name is Yahweh saves. God is my salvation. It's a theme throughout all of the book of Isaiah. But take note who is speaking. It is I. It is the Lord. And if we're going to grow in hope, the first principle to know, it is the Lord who speaks through his word. That if the word of God promises peace and joy and hope and confidence and courage, we can trust in that because God's word proves God true. Did Israel go into captivity or was Israel taken over by the Assyrians, prophesied by Isaiah? Absolutely. A hundred years before it happened in 586, did Babylon come and take Judah and Jerusalem off into captivity? It sure did. When the prophet Isaiah says the virgin will bring forth a child and you call his name Emmanuel, is that true? Yes, it's true. In Isaiah 53, in the suffering servant, that he'd be despised and rejected of men. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, did he fulfill all those promises in Isaiah 53? Yes, he did. And on and on and on, 561 promises in the Old Testament concerning Messiah Jesus fulfilled where? In the life recorded in the New Testament about Jesus Christ. See, if we want to grow in hope, we have to know who's speaking, who's promised, and that God stands by his promises. Therefore, we can encourage ourselves 
and we can grow in hope as we know the promises of God and know who has made that promise. Second principle that we can see in how do we grow in hope, first one being trusting God's word, trusting God's promises. Those promises have been given. Those promises have been fulfilled. If you think 561 promises were, would be fulfilled, what do you think will happen for the next 10 or 20 or 50? I think you can trust the Lord to do those things. Some mathematician that we have in here, one of you engineer dudos, said, do you know that if you, that if you line up all the promises in the Bible that, that w- came true and uh, fulfilled and documented in the New Testament, he said, you, ca- you, can't, you can't really comprehend it. It's like one to a trillion or something like, many trillion. And so God's word can be trusted God's word can be true. The more we give our heart to that, the more we can grow grow in hope and confidence. The second principle that we see is is to look to the past, to look to God's performance, to look to his nature and to his character. And the prophet reminds those that are in captivity that they can trust the Lord not only based on the promises of his word, but based upon what he has done in their hearts and lives. Look at Isaiah 63, verse 7. I, say it with me, if just this one sentence. I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord. I will recount them. Handsome Ben with the nice red woodsman shirt on, opened the service today by reading Psalm 100, recounting the blessings of the Lord, or as David said in Psalm 27, 13, I will remember the blessings of God in the land of the living. I will recount the blessings of God in the land of the living. Do you think that that helps God in his hope? Well, it might. Some of you are like looking at me, where is he going? Do you think that that helps you? Do you think it helps me? That when I look back over 50 years of following Jesus Christ, and I begin writing out each time, He showed himself faithful to me. Each time he loved me. Each time he forgave my sins. Each time he gave me a a, a new hope, a new joy when all was lost, at least in my eyes. The prophet says this to them, I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us and the great goodness to the house of Israel and that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior. Then he goes on and identifies what type of savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel 
of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. What is he pointing to? He's pointing to that great deliverance where the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt by Pharaoh, and God led them in victory through the Red Sea. A picture of baptism. God is faithful because he has spoken his word to us. And his character, secondly, his character and his nature affirm the veracity and the authority and the reliability and the inerrancy of his word to his people. That's why I can have hope. The third principle that we can see that Isaiah helps us with is how to pray. How to pray a prayer that builds hope in our heart. We'll read it, but what Isaiah teaches the people to pray is something that Jesus taught the people to pray. His disciples, you might remember this in Matthew 6, his disciples were all around him. Hey, Jesus, John the Baptist taught his people to pray, his peeps to pray. Can you help us to learn how to pray? And how did Jesus teach them to pray? Say it with me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. How does Isaiah teach the people to pray in hope? Take a look at it with me. We're in Isaiah 63, verse 15. Look down from heaven and see from your holy and beautiful habitation. Where are your zeal and your might? The stirring of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. It's a prayer of petition. It's a, it's a prayer where the prophet is in that place of being pressured. And here's how, here's how he's to pray. Those that would be in exile. Verse 15, 16. For you are our what? You are our father. Though Abraham does not know us, and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer from of old is your name. Look at 64, verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. See, to build hope in our heart is to know that we have a good father who's sovereign over our life. Isaiah calls the Lord the potter. We're the clay. God is sovereign, and God is shaping and molding our hearts through all of life to bring us to the place that we will trust him. Did Ahaz trust the Lord? No, he did not. Did Hezekiah trust the Lord? Halfway. All of our life is designed to draw us, to woo us, that we would see God as our heavenly Father who is sovereign over our life and is good and faithful and loving kind to those that call upon his name. 
What does that teach us? It teaches us that no matter what happens in our life, it has come through the sovereign hand of God in our life. And so therefore, we can trust him. Why can we trust him? Because God's word tells us we can trust him. It tells us that God in his sovereign control over this lump of clay is able to make all things work together for good because I love him. I've been redeemed by him. I've been rescued from sin by him. I've been transformed spiritually from the inside out and made a new creation, not because of works or meritorious anything I've done for the Lord, but because the Lord loved me, he chose me and called me unto himself. And because of that, I can trust him and have hope that no matter what happens through the Conway's eyes, that when he considers all is lost, God has just begun to work. When all is despair, God has a brighter future. When the, when the turmoil of our culture overwhelms, God is greater than any culture of any day. Did you think Ahaz thought he was the epitome of the culture of his day? Or Hezekiah, or the Babylonian king, or the Assyrian king, or, or the Pharaoh of Egypt? Do you think that they thought they had a handle on things? They certainly did until my mighty God came and delivered his people from the hand of Pharaoh. Until my Lord and loving Savior crushed and defeated sin in my life by the grace of God and through the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, heavenly Father, have mercy on me and deliver me for thy glory's sake. How do we build hope in our heart? Recognize that God has spoken. We have his word. How do we build hope in our heart to remember who he is? Faithful and just and good. How do we build hope in our heart to pray to our heavenly father who's sovereign and controls all things? There's one last point that I'll bring out to you. And how to build hope in our heart is to know this simple thing, that God did not want heaven to be without you. Now, there might be a Jewish person in our midst. I don't know. But I think we're mostly just a bunch of Gentiles. We're just not part of the covenant. Our father's not Abraham, except God made provision for us. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 10. The prophet Isaiah sees it coming. Look at chapter 65, verse 1. I was ready to be sought. The, the parallel text is Romans 10, 20 and 21. I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. And, in, and God says this, Here I am, here I am to a nation 
that was not called by my name, God says, here I am. How do we build hope in our heart? By recognizing we have a good father, a loving father, who sent his only begotten son into the world, that all those that would call upon his name, Jew or Gentile, could find forgiveness of sins and could be welcomed into the family of God. We live in such a turmoil of days and we need hope to arise in our heart. That hope is available to you today. Trust in the promises of God's word. Pray to a heavenly father who loves you and is shaping you into a son and daughter of the most high God. And never forget this. You were bought with a price. That the love of the father sent the son. And through the atoning work of the son, we have been pronounced not guilty. We have been justified and cleansed from all unrighteousness. So that hope would find its place and its home within each of our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Christmas, the holidays, they can throw a lot of things at us. Our expectations may not quite be met, but I'll tell you this about my God. He never disappoints, never abandons, is always there. As Marianne mentioned, when, even we, when we don't know what to pray for, gives us words deep within our spirit that cry out to him, what? Abba, Father. Amen?